The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. up welcome to episode number 307 of on the court of the official pitcherlist.com podcast i'm your host alex fast joined as always by the raz slamless nick pollock nick how you doing today what is happening i'm i'm sad i'm very sad at my own failures in life and the entire pitcherless channel inside of our discord was a i want to call it the discord um <laughs> is is everybody sharing their picks and i'm i'm just like the conan o'brien gif of him on the window looking in yeah just like sadly staring in yeah it's i got failure i got totally so i'm i was the i'm at the turn i was totally hosed at the 12th pick and i it came up to me and i think who's my first pick my first pick was freeman uh because i was like whatever like i think he regardless of where he goes even if it is atlanta the production's still gonna be there he's still gonna have plenty of home runs oh yeah probably a downgrade if he doesn't go to atlanta but i'm fine with that uh and then i was like okay I'm, I want to take a pitcher here because I'm not picking for a long, long time. And uh-huh. if there's a mini pitcher run, you know, you and I have different methodologies here, but like I didn't want to end up in a best ball league with like Bieber or Nola as my ace. What? What are you laughing at? A mini pitcher run. I'm just thinking like little kids that are pitchers in like a sack race or something like that. That's pretty the much the, yeah, exactly. Run. Yeah. That's exactly what everyone envisions as well. I took. <laughs> I took Cole because he, you know, it's like, all right, I'll take a first rounder at the beginning of the second round. It's so big deal to me. And then there haven't been like any pitchers taken since. It's going to get back to me. And I can, I'm probably still going to take either Bueller or Woodruff. And even in a best ball, even with pitching sort of reduced, like whatever, I'm just going to dive into it. I think it's real nice to have Bueller and uh, Bueller and Cole and then have like George Springer and Freddie Freeman. You know, I'm really upset how I messed this up because I was actually excited to take part in a draft that is different than the ranks that we're talking about now, because Mm -hmm. what do I say 20 million times in these rankings? This is not a best ball league, but that is, but that is the Raz slam. And it changes a lot of the chances you take. And I, you know, guys like Anthony Descafani and Marcus Stroman, they rise up in those ranks. Uh, So I I was kind of, uh, I don't know. I'm just going to live vicariously through you then. All right. I mean, so what do you think I should do? If I, um, my pick is coming up, one, two, three, four. I'm four picks away. Uh-huh. I've got I've got Freeman and Cole. Should I dig in and do 
either Bueller or Woodruff and an outfielder, I feel like I'm too far gone not to, right? I feel like I have to go another pitcher and You've stick to this You've been far gone for three years fast. Um, <laughs> no, just two I, I know this sounds like a cop-out, but honestly, um, this especially best balls are ones that you build um, from the bottom up. So have an understanding of what your later picks will be and who you like hitting-wise. If you think, oh, you know what? There's this guy going around 300. I feel like I'll be able to get around 225, 250. That will mm-hmm. cover these holes, and that's, you know, that's how I would be doing this. Um, and I know in twelve teamers for me, I mean, I've been doing these live drafts, uh, live mock drafts on Tuesday mornings, helping me craft when I actually want to target everybody for that purpose. I haven't done with the best ball, so I can't really help you. I would say okay. for your own sanity, you like going to pitchers and feeling good about it, so just go and do that. Well, I feel like I have to because if I let's say I go two hitters here, uh-huh. then I'm I already have a lower value in the hitters. And when people are go on those pitching runs in like five, six, seven rounds, I don't want to be playing. I'm I'm not going to need that anymore. And at that point, the entire field of of hitters is going to be open to me. You know what right. I mean? So so which uh, which side do you say the public is the zag or the zig that you're going to be what like? Like when they zag, uh, I zig, or is it when they zig? When I they zag. zig, when they zig, I zag. I know, but that's what the normal people say. Fast, maybe you can zag okay. and zig. I could. I feel like I have to zag and zig. <laughs> uh, it, it, the, my Woodruff pick is going to come up go. during this. I my pick Woodruff. is likely going to come up during this, so we'll talk about it when it happens. But that's not what we're talking about today. No, uh, because I have no one to talk about it with. What we are talking I about gotcha. today is the uh, is Nick's fifty one through sixty. Uh, yeah. It's your it's your second podcast of the week. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed yesterday's and we're going to dive right in with, you know, it's funny. We keep like having these guys that I feel like we've already kind of discussed sort of ad nauseum, both in our past podcasts or with Joe Pizapia. And the first one on that list to talk about today is at number 51, Waskar Enoa. Yeah. So the, um, the one thing that I, okay. The past couple of months I've been saying, I am so shocked, so surprised, so appalled by how Waskar Enoa is just overlooked and forgotten about. I think in NFBC, I saw it was around 250 hmm. in the pitcher rankings. Here I am at 51. Clearly a big disconnect between it. Um, and I think the the one element that I neglected um, was the shoulder injury that prevented him from pitching in the playoffs. I might have people spooked, and we don't have much news on that, which is very understandable. Yeah, um, But I... At the same time, I you know I looked more into it. I didn't feel that it was something so significant that Wasgrino won't be the starting pitcher for Atlanta out of the gates. I absolutely think he will be. So it doesn't really change us that much, uh, especially again twelve teamer in the fifties. Now it's not much of a risk or investment um, with your pick, and what you can get back is a guy who had a phenomenal strikeout rate at twenty seven percent last year, a one eleven WHIP. Um, throws 96-97 with a absolutely elite slider with a 38% CSW and 68% strike rate last year. It's it, to me is it's it's a guy that was dominant for two months, only two blow up starts in those first uh, two months, then slammed his hand, got hurt, came back, and wasn't actually as bad as everyone makes it out to be. Um, really, just one bad start in that return that really did him in against the Padres, where it was seven hundred runs in four and two thirds. I think you're going to get someone who is going to be productive for you. He's going to probably be better than that four plus ERA. Or at least I'm willing to, to wager that it will be with a whip that's around 120, if not better. And a strikeout rate well above 20%, if not 
flirting once again with 25%. I think that's great. He's going to be the number four for Atlanta. And Wascarino should be circled in all your drafts. I mean, I'm more willing to take this chance because of where he's going. And he's someone that I'm just, okay, you know what? When we get to these guys in the the 50s and 60s of of players, few touch the same ceiling that Wascarino Noah has. Yeah, this is a little dangerous though, right? Because I feel like uh, for people who look at the list they might just see that he's high up and think like oh i gotta reach and get him you know what i mean but well, that's not what you're saying you're saying if he enough, goes where he's going i wouldn't say reach i mean 51 isn't you know i'm not saying he should be the 140th off the board or something mm-hmm. right i so so that that's kind of what i'm saying and then you know it's a large tier and kind of take what you want there and i may be a little aggressive in that respect but we're going to talk about all the guys today and they all have their risk that you know is dangerous i think i might be a little bit low on number 58 and we'll get to that when we arrive um but oscar you know to me i mean we'll talk about the others but yeah to me it presents the highest chance of achieving um a top 30 spot on the list through the year yeah because right now and by fantasy pros adp 50 through 55 is like clevenger stroman wayno kopech so you you would say wait a little bit and take him a little bit a little bit later after those guys. I mean they're clear, I mean, they're I, ranked behind a lot of these guys except for. Wayne, I would right? say wherever Wasker knows ADP is is where I do it. But yeah, I mean you don't always you don't always have that luxury of saying oh no I won't take this guy I'll just wait a couple of rounds and get that guy then all of a sudden that guy is taken and all of a sudden things sure. are bad. If you're in a situation where you think oh no I want to get this pitcher still go for Kopech and go for Boz and so on. And he's he's three twenty six right now, and that's crazy. Yeah, for for me, when it comes to Enoa, I think I mean at three twenty six, I'd have no problem taking Oscar Enoa because who cares? He's like a waiver wire pickup at that point. For me, it's Insane. I'm concerned about the park. I'm concerned about the injury, not even the the hand, but the shoulder. Um, he still gives up hard hits. Um, I mean, like even even with the slider, like when the slider gets put in play. Had a 382 Woba on contact. It's not great. Neither is the 368 X Wobacon. Uh, so the pitch can still get hit hard. Obviously, the CSW, as you mentioned, is really great. And it's not even weighted to one area, right? It's He can get called strikes on the pitch, which is great. And he can get swinging strikes on the pitch, which is nice. But, like, I, I don't even think... If the fastball was like a little bit better, I would probably be a little bit more interested, but it also got hit a little hard and it didn't even pick up a lot of swinging strikes. So that to me just points to, and then to, to your last point that I wanted to bring up about like, you know, the, the the one start that kind of blew up his ratios. What scares me is that he does that again and he's making, he's starting, you know, oh, well, he has yeah, than 120 he's innings. A, he's pitched. at 51. Like every single guy we're going to talk about now has considerable risk. Uh, and I, I will say, absolutely, the four-seamer, especially when he came back, was way worse. Mm-hmm. But he was actually killing it with the fastball a lot in those uh, first two months. I had a lot better feel for it um, than when he returned. And I can imagine, you know, it could improve upon that. While the slider overall had a sub-18% hard contact rate. Like, I, I get that when it gets hit, but it's so overwhelming that, it, you know, he gets a ton of strikeouts on that pitch. Um, and that's... a easy easy um exchange to make there i mean generally if you if you look at a lot of sliders like sure they'll probably get hit decently well when they do get hit uh in their own right but i mean that's because he also throws at 50 percent of the time it's mm-hmm. gonna happen a bit it's still regardless of that fact amazing numbers of 38 percent csw high strike rate only 208 average allowed so on so yeah i i, I mean 
I probably will have you know a little farther back, more so of I think I'm gonna raise up number fifty-eight. I might raise up fifty-two. I mean, there really aren't many guys in this tier though that I'm saying, oh, I need to push them above Anoa though. We're gonna talk about all of them. But yeah, there's no one that's just like, oh, that guy needs to stay for fifty-eight. Okay, let's move on to fifty-two then. Another guy that we've talked about repeatedly, and that's John Means. So here, here's I'm going to run down some of the problems, some of the pros and some of the cons with John Means, right? Try and be as unbiased as possible with this. Um, problems. Gives up the long ball, right? Um, nearly two home run per nine last year, uh, but he did cut down on the home run to fly ball ratio. And even the XFIP was 4.36, right? So when you normalize that, that uh, home run uh, problem, it's still down to 4.36. Gives up a decent amount of hard contact. Doesn't get a lot of whiffs outside of the zone. Uh, he's shown that he can be a little bit injury prone. The team doesn't get him wins and a below average CSW. The good stuff is the home run could definitely get dialed down a bit with the new fences. Um, while the away home runs are still going to remain, we're still talking about a potential 25% dip in overall home runs allowed. Very good at getting whips inside of the zone. 17% in zone swinging strike rate is 34% better than the league average. Really good command. The change up fantastic. Uh, the curveball actually his best pitch by run value do you agree with those those sort of pros and cons are we on the same page about that uh i mean i think there's a pro of potential workload uh coming for john Mm -hmm. means of you know 26 starts this past year missed some time after his almost perfect game and uh 100 in about 50 innings I through the year that could turn into 180 or so um, as the only 26 it gets pushed up to 32 that's six more starts let's say that's you know 35 innings or whatever ta-da there are your 180 uh, from John Means which is pretty dang cool um, the the fences in the left and left field are pushed back farther it did show to actually have as, as some impact on Means from last year yep um, and I will say overall I mean his super amazing walk rate of just four percent yeah. Um, allows him to have just a 103 whip. Uh, even if he raises his hit per nine in, uh, from 7.7 closer to 8 or maybe 8.2, it's still going to be a great whip over a very long amount of time. That is very exciting for me. There's a 23% strikeout rate that I see could improve. As you mentioned, the curveball was the best uh, pitch by run value, and I think that could continue improving next year. I can also imagine that the changeup becomes a little bit more consistent. He elevated it just a little too much last year. He didn't quite get it under the zone as I would like it to be, but still performed well. 73% strike rate. Just I think it can be even better than what it was. Um, and who knows? Maybe even the slider takes a step forward too. I think there's a lot more development to be had with John Means as he enters his fourth season uh, in, in the bigs. He's still under 30. I think there's still development to be had. And maybe, you know what? Maybe... The fastball velocity hints back at what we saw in 2020, where it was around 94 as opposed to 93 we've seen otherwise. So I think there is excitement for more, and the floor is still pretty dang good with that good whip, good amount of volume, and hopefully an ERA that's under four. Yeah, this is his fifth fifth season, not fourth season. Well, okay, that was 3.1 innings in 2018. Does not count. We saw him in 2018. Um, I oh god, I don't. I don't more think more lies. He, <laughs> I don't think the. Uh, 
I don't know if we are going to see the velocity or something that we should rely upon. To, the more we get away from it, the more I, I think we've been able to on it either. But there's a chance, maybe. Yeah, could happen. I just just bring out that I think it might happen for 2020 for a reason, right? They knew it was mm-hmm. going to be shortened, so he was able to dial it back. And it seems like there was, you know, we're, we're probably not going to see that again. Sure. I will say, <clears throat> uh, constantly a guy overperforming his FIP, which makes sense, but. By this measure, uh, it's something to take note of, right? He beats his fit by a full run last year, beats it by almost a full run. Almost every year of his uh, career that's over 3.1 innings pitched, he, he's beat that FIP because the projections um, are pretty wild for means. I mean, he's had two years of essentially 150 innings with a 3.62 ERA. I, I just don't know if I – it wouldn't surprise me if he was able to repeat that again. Um, it's also kind of interesting to note that that home run to fly ball ratio that we saw at 15% last year was at around 10% in 2019. And he still had a 3.6 ERA. Cause I'm trying to think like, okay, well, if the, are the fences going to positively impact the ERA? Uh, and if so, how much, you know, what's that next level for him? I guess for me, I very much agree that if the curveball became a more consistent pitch for him or something that he felt more comfortable going to that, there could be that next tier. Um, but uh, I, yeah, so I, I, I don't know if I see above a three, five, but I think anything above a four, I don't think there's enough foundation to, to, to back that statistically. The, uh, I think the biggest concern, um, Babbitt's over the years have always been under two six. He's a two fifty six in 2019, two sixteen twenty twenty two forty in 2021. There's kind of a feeling of, should we really buy into that? Or was he really doing the hard contact allowed? Isn't so exceptional mm-hmm. for us to do that. He is an extreme fly baller. Um, that it's always been over 40%. So that might be adding to it. Uh, the left on base rates also the past two years have been over 80%, which likely isn't going to stick. So I think that's what's driving that FIP to be 462. Mm. And what, for whatever reason, there is that uh, disconnect between the array and FIP for John Means. Uh, I think the other thing we haven't really mentioned is win totals. Uh, now, if you throw in negative, yeah. more starts for John Means... You hope that the six turns closer into a ten, but that's you know it's wishful thinking more like eight or nine, mm. and yeah, that's you know versus fourteen or thirteen from another like actual good starter. That is a difference between maybe him and Jose or Kiti or so. Um, that's something you got to kind of roll with. I think in head-to-head leagues, it's not as large of an issue um then say like a rota where over time it matters but it's just small percentages per week that doesn't you know it's it's close enough that it's okay mm-hmm. um at the same time if john means does perform at a level that i think can he can perform at that i do think we haven't seen the best john means yet then the win totals then do improve along with that of course not necessarily to the length of 15 wins but hopefully scratching double digits in 2022 i'm not saying that you should rely on that um, again, we're getting to the point of every single pitcher has a shrug attached to them. Um, John means to me, yeah, good whip, good amount of volume, and, a, and an opportunity to grow. And I think that's really what's uh, alluring me to him. Okay. Let's move on to another guy who's got really great walk rates. Um, still uh, not a great CSW, but definitely is going to hurt your ratios and also... I don't know, maybe maybe more of an innings concern in all likelihood than John means, and that's Jose Urquidy. Uh Tell us some thoughts about Jose Urquidy. 
Yeah, I, I want to love Arkady, then I don't, then I do, then I don't. Um, hard contact love is nothing except, exceptional. 95th among starters last year at 26%. But he's always been under a sub-4 ERA. His whip last year was .99, which was 10th among all starters. But it was only 107 mm-hmm. innings. And innings has always been a question uh, for, for Arkady. Just 20 starts last year. We wonder if it will be... 25 plus this year starts wise or if you can actually push the full 30 i hope we see that um it might turn into a hipster where we don't know when he's gonna start and how he's gonna start but at the same time it, it, it's like there there are two sides of the hipster one is the the copec side or the boz mm-hmm. side where it's the team not letting them pitch then there's the uh or mccullers and Arkady side of just injury and preventing them from pitching. And I would take the injury side, but IL spots can get full very quickly in season. Mm. So it still might not be something that you want to mess around with. I, but anyway, with Arkady, it's a four-seamer slider change of curveball. He's generally just been a good strike thrower. I, the four-seamer had an absurd 74% strike rate last year. Slider has been excellent, 37% CSW uh, last season. You love to see it. His changeup was the pitch we got excited about early on, and it's been overall good as far as the results pitch. Sub 200 average allowed on Urquidy's changeup through his career. CSW has always been sub 30%, though. It's it's helped him get outs, essentially, mm-hmm. and that's a really nice compliment. And then, of course, as you like to see for every fastball slider changeup guy, Urquidy has a show-me curveball, and it gets a lot of called strikes. Yeah. Don't you love those fast? Like from Dylan I mean, Bundy of old? They're my faves. The, uh, do you think, is it fair to say Jose Urquidy is Marcus Stroman without the innings? Ooh. Um, no, it's not. Okay. Uh, because uh, Stroman is more reliant on grounders, and that will push up his whip, I think. Like the whip will uh, be yeah, better okay. with Urquidy. So um, same for K's, but better whip. And it's also, I think there is this, there is still a, potential that hasn't come to fruition yet for jose or okay um you, you mentioned one guy uh who has a very good fastball slider combination which brings us then to our next guy which has a very good fastball slider well, who is that going to be fast we'll find Stay out tuned after the break, break. <laughs> Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at pitcherlist.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well, from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball, even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. That guy that Nick and I so eloquently teased at the exact same time <laughs> together that is tanner hawk so tanner hawk uh, didn't make a bunch of starts last year he only ended the year with 13 he had uh um five relief appearances as well ends the year with a uh, sub 70 innings pitch total coming in right at 69 there he 
we saw the slider. We knew the slider coming into the season was going to be something that we were going to be really excited about. He threw about a hundred of them in 2020 and we were, you know, it was very gifable and looked really good. And then it came back and performed, you know, very well in 2020. It had a uh, 2021, excuse me. It had a about 16% uh, swinging strike rate, a 214 Woba end of the year with a 40 WRC plus. Do you think that this slider uh, four-seamer combination is sustainable for Tanner Houck, or is there something to be believed in the very small sinker uh, sample that we saw last year? Sub 200, but a 17.3% swinging strike rate on that sinker. Is there a next step here for Tanner Houck if he gets the innings? Is that crazy that that sinker is doing weird things like that with a 42% O-swing on it? It's unreal. Yeah, I know. I don't know if I buy that. Uh, 33% hard contact allowed, though. Um, so that's not great. I Tanner Hawk has two issues, if you ask me. One is his slider, despite it being a pretty, a pretty gif uh, of a pitch. It's, it's insane. Yeah, it's sub 60% strike pitch. Um, that's a little weird to me for your number two. And the other offering is a splitter that's also 60% strike. I mean, it's a splitter. <laughs> you don't really expect a super high strike rate with that. So sure. that means that that Hauk has to go four-seamer sinker to, to get those. And those are getting strikes, 67% each. And if that maintains that without getting destroyed, then okay, this actually could work. But there will be a lot of times where I'm sure he'll struggle to get out and get ahead with fastballs and be looking to that slider and splitter to get strikes and he won't be able to do it uh, i'm also worried that actually by the way we did see that a lot he wasn't a very efficient pitcher when he did pitch and i don't know how much the the red sox are going to push him i uh, we like this idea that tanner Houck is going to start out of the gate for the red sox he should you know yeah. all from all of us in our armchairs we're saying this but it's I don't know if they want to hold back his innings a bit, if they want to ease him into the role. And then when he does, he doesn't really go deep into games. Uh, last year, I don't think he had a single game that he went a full six innings. I see mm. one start that he actually went into the sixth. It was 5.1 innings uh, against the Cleveland Guardians, where he had four walks and 300 runs and 5.1. Uh, so it, it's a combination of a guy that like you want to take the next step, but he has some very apparent flaws, uh, and this is not a finished pitcher. Now, again, it's the tier of, hey, there are a lot of good things, and there are some bad things holding them back. That's why they're not in the 20s or 30s. Mm -hmm. uh, and Hauk's slider is certainly tantalizing, and the four-seamer at 94-95 has, for the most part, done well. That sinker, yeah, 17% swing strike rate is crazy. It's crazy. How is that, how's that happening? So, I, well, we'll see. I, I, what's really interesting, too, is he kind of has this very tight TP of pitches. Like, what he does is it seems like he'll, like, kind of elevate at right at the top of the zone with that four-seamer, and then that sinker slider just kind of split left and right. And mm -hmm. it's a really kind of fun approach, especially because it seems like he, he I mean, he's got a pretty good command of the pitches. You know what I mean? I don't think there's ever really days where he's just, I mean fully goes ahead and loses it he's got a, he had that obviously you mentioned like two four walk days but 7.4 percent walk rate i don't know i when i watch him pitch it's it's pretty exciting it's nice to know they can build okay. on it but like you said it's tough to imagine more than 120 130 from him 
I have such a distinct memory fast from I think 2016. I think I was okay. in your apartment. We were recording during our first year. Okay. And there was some Dodger pitcher that came up um, who was doing all right. And I remember talking about the diamond. And do you remember mm. this? The yeah. diamond being uh, an elevated four-seamer, so that's the top mm-hmm. of the diamond. And then on the left is a slider. On the right is, say, like a, a, a you can say a change-up, or it can be a sinker in this case. And then you can have a splitter that goes straight down. And you get four different directions uh, of this pitch to make a diamond. I don't remember who this guy was. I feel like it's like Brooks or something like that, but it's not. I don't know. He wasn't very good. I was so very wrong then. Um, but uh, I'm looking through. I just pulled up every pitcher that pitched for the Dodgers in 2016. <laughs> uh, I feel like he started anyway. Uh, maybe it was 2017, but I think it was 16 because I feel like it was like one of the early times of the podcast. I uh, and it's 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 kind of cool. You're totally right. The sinker does stay down and definitely down an arm side uh, really effectively. I'm looking at our strikes on plot and it's super good where he's been placing it. I I don't I don't know. I don't really know if how can take that next step and say, okay, you know what? When I need to, I'm going to throw my slider for a strike. You know, it and it's actually a sub. Yes, no, no, maybe no, okay. no. <laughs> Bolsinger so started right for a second, but then because it was the B, but no. Yeah, okay. I maybe it was. Did he have like one start and then like get like pushed to relief and then that was it? He had. He only had six starts. Yeah, maybe. Did he throw like ninety four? 95? I think that might have been him, actually. All right. Uh, A slider only had a 30% O swing, um, which is a little shocking, and only a 38% zone rate. So it moves a ton, and only 9% hard contact, which is super good. But yeah, that's probably because he didn't really throw it that much in the zone, so guys couldn't really hit it. I I hope that how can find that command. It's just not quite there yet. Um. It was not Mike Bolster. I don't think he threw like a <laughs> he threw a cutter at like ninety one. That kind of <laughs> sounds like, right. Yeah, yeah. Who's yeah, the yeah. next guy? Fast. Uh, the next guy that we wanted to talk about in this list uh, is Sean Manaya, a guy that I think there were times where we were willing to kind of write off, uh, especially after he had that no hitter a couple years ago. He kind of bounced back. Uh, you know, injury in twenty nineteen keeps him off the four point five ERA in twenty twenty, but then man, he's kind of back with a vengeance, showing off a really nice uh, K percentage that is definitely linked to some increased velocity that we saw from Manaya over the season twenty six percent. K rate with a 12.3% swinging strike rate. Both of those are career highs when he has over 100 innings pitched. The whip, not fantastic. Doesn't I don't think it kills you at 1.23, but really exciting peripherals with the 3.66 FIP and the 3.68 Sierra. Are you expecting to see some more of the velocity that Sean Manaya showcased last year, or should we be not chasing what was him sitting 96 on that sinker? Let me take you back to a time. It was August 28th, 2016. And on the hill for the Dodgers was a man who went five innings, zero runs, and eight strikeouts with just four base runners. And his name, Brock Stewart. Brock Stewart. Yeah. Brock Stewart. I got it. I finally got it. Sean Maniah. That that does feel good. (laughs) Sean Maniah was a legitimate ace in the middle of the season. It was it was kind of crazy how much he was just winning. All of your leagues. Um, and then all of a sudden, it stopped. Um, really, the main thing for me uh, from Anaya is that his fastball velocity went way up again. 
Uh, we're talking about something that was uh, sitting around 90 miles per hour in 2018, 19, 20. Uh, missed a lot of time with uh, with a shoulder injury in 2019. Came back in 2020. Wasn't quite as good either. I mean, at end of 2019 came back for a really small sample. And then still 2020 wasn't quite the exception we wanted. Um, but then 2021, through the year, ramped it up from that 91 all the way to 93 and change. Uh, mm-hmm. by the end of the year, which was phenomenal. Uh, but I don't know how much to buy into that because the command of the changeup and slider wasn't always so good along the way. Sometimes he had it. And if you want to, actually, I think Savant calls it a curveball, which is totally fine by me. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's it's something where Manaya doesn't have elite command. Fastball performed better um, as it went on, by the way. It used to be a four-seamer, and then it officially got turned into a sinker this past year. Yeah okay <laughs> uh it makes it hard to compare year to year um yeah but i uh, but essentially sean manaya i i feel like maybe he can be that guy that went on that run and just is absolutely stellar at times but i'm also not ready to say that oh now he's the you know a, a clean bill of health forever 180 innings last year always had been this weird health guy 161 in 2018 was the previous oh wow things are great mm-hmm. for once and I don't know if I can completely buy in to Manaya being healthy through the full year. At the end of the, end of the season, despite these really nice highs in the middle of the year, still a 391 ERA, a 123 whip. Um, I don't know if I totally buy the 26% strikeout rate. Keep in mind the 2019 stats, you see, of 27.5. We knew that was ridiculous at the time because it was yeah. over 30 innings. Um, if, the, if he has the heater, if Manaya has that good fastball, and is able to get enough strikes with changeups and curveballs. He didn't increase the strike rate of his changeups to 70% last year, which was great. Really good to see that zone rate went up 10 ticks. And the curveball, it was kind of the same that it used to be at 63. I hope it works. I hope it works. He might not be there anymore. The defense might be different. It's a weird scenario. Shumnai could help you out, but you could also be just super upset at things in the middle of April. Yeah, I, I think it's good to note that the increased velocity sustained over the course of the full season. Like, if there was no it particular... Uh, it dropped yeah. for a second in sure. September, and then it came back up all of a sudden. You know? Yeah, so there wasn't anything alarming, though, that pointed to, like, oh, he cannot maintain this velocity over a full workload, right? Uh, or at least not according to my Well, yeah, he, he got the strength uh, back. I mean, mm-hmm. actually, okay, so the last three starts were all sub-92, but as late as September 15th, it was 93.7. And it yeah. was like four straight starts, 93, 93, 93, 93, and 10 to 94. And all of a sudden, 91.1, 91.9, 91.6, 10 of the year. It, it's, yeah, it, it would go up and down a lot through the year. That's interesting. I do think it's also funny that, like, this is never a guy that I would anticipate to talk about not having a single pitch with a swinging strike rate below 11%. Like, that just never used to be hmm. Sean Manaya. Uh, and now here we are. I, yeah, he's another guy too. And I feel, I feel like I find myself saying this a lot with maybe, maybe it's just sticking out in my head. I don't know where the, where an improvement would come from him. You know what I mean? Like, I don't see a path of which all of a sudden he's like, oh no, now he's back to 2018 and he's a three, five ERA guy. You know what I mean? I, I don't think he is that. I think he is probably going to be a three, eight to four ERA guy. 
Um, and maybe we see a dip in K's down to like 23, 24%. But I think he could probably take a few steps back with that Babbitt too. He had a 318 last year, therefore bringing the whip down a little bit to like 1.18. Um, it's it's kind of a fun, uh, if you can get the innings out of him, if you're not as worried about the health, it's a fun kind of fence post, right? It's like a fun thing that you can put to like kind of protect against some of the other risks that you're going to take. But then again, if you're looking for someone who's going to have a higher ceiling around this position, then Chamaniah might not be the guy for you. Yeah, super low walk rate, which means that the whip isn't going to be ever so terrible. Nine mm-hmm. hit per nine last year to get a 123 whip, right? If he brings that down to eight and change, and all of a sudden you have like a 110 whip season because of the super low walk rates. Um, but yeah, he's, I think he's just a little too hittable. Um, that's a bit of a problem. 27% hard contact last year from Sean Manaya. So um, I think you're right. It's a really hard to envision him sustaining that peak for the entire season. Yeah. Well, you, I've been meaning to talk to you about this for a while, and now we're finally mm-hmm. getting to him. You seem like you're kind of finally done with sunny gray is that the truth i mean i kind of was done last year (laughs) uh it's maybe i wasn't i yeah on one side hard contact is so good like sub 20 percent hard contact allowed which is seventh in the majors Mm -hmm. uh among starters on the other side his his breakers are so inconsistent and it drives me nuts it drives me crazy I yeah. even tried to defend him um, that he had learned his stuff. I remember actually when, when Trevor Bauer was there in Cincinnati, he did say, hey, here's all the, the camera stuff. And Gray was like, oh, cool. And then he had an amazing second half, I remember, in 2019 because of that. Yep. Um, and then it didn't stay that way. So, yeah, Sonny Gray to me, I'm not, I'm not interested. I, I think the ERA and whip is going to bother you all year. Um, I could be undervaluing him for deeper leagues where um, the 122 whip isn't much of a negative factor, which means a 27% K rate really does mm. wonders for you. Sure. But he also is a health problem. Uh, 135 innings last year, 130 in 2018, 175, great, 2019, but he's not someone that goes 180 to 200 or something like that. And yeah, I, I, I just kind of, I am kind of done with this. You know, I, I don't really trust the breakers to be there for Sonny Gray. Yeah, I don't blame you. I think it's really frustrating when you... He has so many pieces in his arsenal that seem like if they were tweaked a little bit, then he could find some success that would bring him back to like a mid-three ERA guy with a better whip. But like, I get scared when both his both of his fastballs are just not great. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're just really not great pitches. Uh, and he went to that four-seamer a little bit more than he did in 2020. Maybe it's just a sample size thing because the four-seam was still a part of his mix. But it, it, it was a 357 Woba at the end of the year. And it just seems like this is kind of funny to me. He hasn't had the same... For, he hasn't had the same uh, number one pitch, like dominant pitch. The pit, no, let me, let me rephrase the pitch that he goes to most often. Yeah, he hasn't had the same one in three consecutive seasons. That's funny, which I think is very <laughs> funny, right? So it was like, yeah, I'm gonna go with the sinker. Oh, actually, no, I'm gonna go with the four seamer a lot. I'm gonna go with the curveball. No, I'm gonna go with the four seamer a lot. You know, it's like, and that everyone just is, knows that person that always every month says, "Oh, I figured it out." Yeah, exactly. You know? and, and that means they've never figured it out. Yeah, and you're like, good for you, Sonny. Like, like, keep on trying. That's really awesome, man. Uh, so I, I agree 
that he should be lower on the list. I just wonder if down in the 50s doesn't take enough of his upside into account, but then you could definitely make that argument too that like you take the inconsistency and add the injuries, then it's not like a guy like Waskari Noah who has shown stretches of dominance because Gray hasn't shown a stretch in three years, right? I mean, he had moments in uh, in 2021 of feeling like, oh, everything is fine. Everything is great and wonderful. Uh, but then it's always bookended by these atrocities. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it makes, yeah, it makes you really tough uh, as a manager to uh, to trust um, for a long amount of time. Um, also, the fact that he's in Cincinnati does not do him wonders. Yeah. And I homer fly ball rate was 18% last year. Uh, for signing Gray, just just not what you want. Um, yeah, it, it's. Uh, I feel so conflicted about signing Gray because of the hard contact, twenty percent. That's really good. Uh, you should feel better about that, and theoretically, that four nineteen ERA rate should come down because of that. Um, but at the same time, it's like, well, what changes? And there isn't going to be that consistency. Um, he had some starts last year, remember, where he did well, but it was only because of a sinker and four-seamer. And like, nope, that's not yeah. it. You got to be dominant with your curve, with your curveball and or your slider. Last year, 25% CSW on the slider, which is just so wrong. Yeah, yeah. That's not what it's supposed to be. I, I, I find myself out. I don't want to have this headache through the year. Um. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I think it would be tough for me to find myself. At first, I was like, man, I think he's too low. And then I was looking at it and I was like, I just don't see a build that I would construct on my team where Sonny Gray would be that missing piece. You know what I mean? Like, if anything, the only reason Sonny Gray would end up on one of my teams this year is if I had pitching had just gone off crazy. And I was like, all right, you and me, Sonny, we're <laughs> going to try and figure this one out this year. Um, yeah, but I want to move to the next guy because this is a guy that i feel like there's always kind of been some hype around him and then it feels like it at the beginning of the year there's been some stumbles either with injury and now theoretically we could i think he was injured at the beginning of 2021 maybe i'm thinking of 2020 but now we should theoretically have a clean slate where he's locked into the rotation hopefully get 170 180 innings 180 innings if he could stay healthy and that's jordan montgomery we saw a little bit of that peak that we were looking for last year, over 157 innings in a third with a 25% K rate, 14% swinging strike rate. The whip not great around 1.3, but a 3.83 ERA. Could this be the year where Montgomery continues to build on that and take a step forward? So uh, because we count foul tips as swinging strikes and whiffs, uh, we see Jordan Montgomery has a 14.7% swing strike rate. Mm. Uh, and uh, that makes, makes him 20th among all starting pitchers, which was excellent. But a 128 whip and a 25% hard hit per PA, which actually is 56th in the majors. So we're pretty much right where I ranked him. <laughs> was his hard contact rate last year for Jordan Montgomery. Mm. Here's the thing. It's um, in some ways similar to Aaron Savali, uh, but better. Where you have Savali with this amazing curveball and cutter. And for Jordan Montgomery, it's a curveball and changeup. But the other stuff needs a lot of help. Um, the sinker, four-seamer cutter, oh, man, those got hit so hard for Jordan Montgomery. Yeah. Um, 33% on the cutter, uh, 33%, sorry, on the sinker and four-seamer. And 29% on the cutter. 
Uh, it's just, it's a problem because he needs to set up his curveball and change up out of the zone. The curveball is a 42% O-swing, which is so elite. I cannot express that. It's the next level. Yeah. Yeah. Curveballs with a 22% swing strike rate. Oh, my Lord. The league average for these 11.5% swing strike rate on curveballs. And that's secondary, too. Is is 27%. Generally, as we've talked about curveballs all all the time, they are called strike pitches. Less so of actually swing strike pitches because they're supposed to float in the zone and catch guys off guard. And they say, you know what? I was looking for something else. Fine. I'll accept this strike. This is my life now. Jordan Montgomery's is an exception. This is a good thing. Uh, 37% CSW on that. While his changeup, 38% O swing with a 23% swing strike rate. This is excellent. What a great foundation. Mm. The problem is that that doesn't even make up 50% of his entire repertoire. And he's trying to find the other strikes to set up these pitches sure. in a sinker, four-seamer cutter, which he just can't do yet. So I personally want him to succeed i feel like he is almost there but because of how bad those other three pitches are and the fact that these aren't um you know it's not like he's throwing these 60 percent of the time or something like that it's 48 percent makes me hesitant to believe that jordan montgomery can really get over that hump um and make his hit per nine better so he had an 8.6 last year which was an improvement over what we've seen before but an eight percent walk rate because he can't you know, he has these longer at bats often because he's trying to get them to chase with the change of a curveball and then they are patient with it and they're sure. spitting on them, trying to look for the fastball. It's this uh, back and forth that doesn't feel dominant ever with Jordan Montgomery. And it's not like Corey Kluber, who had a bad fastball, he was dominant, you know? Anytime yeah. they look for the heater, he threw the breaker. Anytime they look for the breaker, he threw the heater kind of thing. That just never is quite how it feels with Jordan Montgomery. So I'm personally, I think, a little bit out as I hmm. don't think that Montgomery is going to soar and really you know, flip the script this year. But, man, if he does, it's going to be that sinker, forcing, or cutter. One of those pitches really taking another step. Yeah. Man, it's – you think about the Yankees and their experience with trying to build fastballs and what happened with Jamison Tyon last year with his four-seamer. And it's just curious, right? It's I, I, I would – I don't know. I, I would really like to see that additional step um, for Jordan Montgomery. I bet Montgomery. I know why. I bet mm. I know why. Because Alex why? Chamberlain has showed me the light. Uh, release point for Jordan Montgomery is pretty dang high up. That's why I think okay. his curveball is so good. Is that it's just a, just so much break based on the release point and where it ends up. It's really hard for guys to tell where is it's actually going across the plate. For a fastball, though, it's not flat. It's absolutely not. So mm-hmm. he can't elevate this pitch. He's got to get this low, low, low. And what does he do with this four-seamer? He elevates uh, a lot. Um, 8.2% swing strike rate despite having a massively high high lock of 70%. And when it comes to VAA stuff, uh, generally with his extreme angle like this, which is not flat, you want it to be low. That's where you yeah. get the best results of it. So that might be part of the issue uh, for, uh, for John Montgomery while the sinker isn't as low as you want it to be a low lock of just 40%. You want that to be the 70% like we just saw with uh, the four seamer being up. I would imagine that's probably part of the problem. Uh, I am also a proclaimed novice with VAA uh, vertical approach angle. So I could very much be off base here, but hmm. that is my best guess right now. The last thing that I want to bring up too, that 
in work. So working on a piece right now with Justin Filto about volatility and start to start volatility hmm. that hopefully should come out soon. And he was one of the more consistent pitchers in baseball last year. Wow. Now I want I want to temper that because that's a very descriptive metric. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to continue. Well, it's um, also consistency of not necessarily being elite. It's just mm-hmm. who he was, was consistent. Yeah, yeah, exactly, which is a great point, too. Some people you want to see consistency, like DeGrom. Some people you don't want to see consistency, like I think the most consistent when we lowered the threshold was actually Nestor Cortez. Oh, interesting. Um, I remember when it was Alec Mills back in, like, August. When you when you raise the threshold, it still is Alec Mills to, like, a certain amount of starts. <laughs> I think it's, like, over 20 starts. Alec Mills is just, like, what consistently you know? who he was. Mills is the most general. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, very good. Uh, so Montgomery being consistent, I think, is interesting because, I mean, I, I don't mind consistency with that kind of ERA, but um, something interesting to, to, to keep note of. And, yeah, look out for that piece in the coming week or so. Um, I, I It can't come out until I notice something wrong with run value that Tom Tango is now going to fix, uh, apparently. Is on, that on right? Of baseball so fine. Yeah. You heard it here first, uh, guys, that Fast yeah. found an error with something that Tom Tango was doing. I, I don't <laughs> no, I think you're no. making that up because of how amazing Tango is. I, I, I don't, it, it's not an error with anything he did. It was how right. something was being applied. Essentially, we're looking at the accumulation of run score. And what that said about a start. And if you, uh-huh. the best game score from this past year of any start was John Means' perfect game. Um, <laughs> and then the, <laughs> that uh, did not exist. We already established it early in the podcast, which you did not uh, refute. So, according to yeah, uh, run value accumulation, it was a Zach Plezak start, which was very interesting. And I think it has something to do with Fielder's Choice. I think he's, he's looking into it now. Mm. I don't know. I don't know how many, I don't remember how many Plezak fanned. I think he only, fanned uh a few oh wow start. you had to do it you missed it on monday hashtag only fans to my only oh my fans God. crew out there uh <laughs> it, we're, we are we are building in numbers there only are fans. dozens of you there are dozens of us all right the next guy i want to talk about has a new home this year and that is eduardo rodriguez do you think that this new home could lead to fewer home runs? Not that he necessarily has ever had a major home run problem, but could he dip below one, which he has never done in his career, or he has once in 2015, uh, way, way back when? Do you think this could be a much of a benefit to Erod and his new home in Detroit? So I think the number one thing that I undervalued with Eduardo Rodriguez is the fact that he could go 200 strikeouts this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've thought about it a lot of like, I don't I don't truly believe that Eduardo Rodriguez is going to be like some incredible elite pitcher or something this year. There's this idea that Eduardo Rodriguez leaving the AL Beast, going into the Central with Detroit, you now have Baez there, and you have a much better park and all this stuff that now he's ready to be the man he's supposed to be. And I still stare at his repertoire and think, well, the four seamer is really good. I mean, it's kind of insane how good it was like a 19% hard contact allowed is so good on a fastball. 30% is the average on four seamers and 19%. Oh my God. Fast. You have no idea how happy I am to have this toggle that just tells me what, the average is for every single pitch. Yeah, that stat. is very it's nice. The coolest thing ever. That is um, very nice. Anyway, uh, so you have four seamers with just overall dominance, and I think the biggest disconnect. I keep saying that word today. 
But you have a 363 Babbitt last year from Eduardo Rodriguez, despite having just a 22% hard contact allowed. Mm. That seems just so wrong. Obviously, uh, hard contact is overplayed appearance, not bad at ball events, which means it is including his 27% K rate into the equation, as well as the, the 7% walk rate. Nevertheless, it's still exceptional uh, to see such a ridiculous difference between the two. Yeah, um, ex-Babbitt was 319 for what it's worth. Uh, but I think, obviously, that does get better, which means the 9.8 hit per 9 for Eduardo Rodriguez goes down. It still was a 139 whip. And over the years, I think a lot of us have kind of thought that Eduardo Rodriguez could take that leap and be a new guy. And the four-seamer was better last year. More more whiffs, 15.5% swing strike rate. That's cool. Changeup was in and out. Like, it was better in the past. But only a 24% CSW this past year. That's not great no um no. good old swing 45 percent, but not much in the zone and it's a little weird to see that while the cutter and the slider for for e-ride are if you're lucky they're called strike pitches on a given day sometimes he doesn't have that sometimes he really does and then you have this weird sinker that sometimes surprises guys uh but that's about it and it's to me not enough Eduardo rodriguez just needs one like good breaking ball just one like just get me uh you get me some whiffs when i need them pitch he doesn't have it and some days it's just him chucking four seamers because the changeup isn't getting enough strikes and that's an issue that's not one that's going to just go away in in detroit do i think that the batted ball is going to go better for him yes i don't think he's going to have a four seven four era i don't think he's going to have a one three nine whip but do I think that all of a sudden a, a 3 3 ERA and a 110 to 115 whip are, like, are in the cards? Well, no, not until something else really improves inside the repertoire. You can't just take last year, chuck him in Detroit, and all of a sudden get those results. So that's what my hesitation was before. I'm pushing him up because I think the floor, even despite 2020 yeah. being so bad, I think it sh- he should be better. And you know the risk that we talked about with the other guys – well, I think Eduardo Rodriguez likely is better overall, but in other ways, I think the other guys have this more fun ceiling to chase, which is why I initially put him at 58. Yeah, it's funny. I was joking in 2020. Um, <laughs> I remember that. Or 2021. Uh, <laughs> I hate you. 2021. Uh, that was the <laughs> remarkable consistency of a lot of his metrics, right? <clears throat> his swinging strike rate has been the same for four to five years <laughs> like it's actually right. pretty remarkable the lack of fluctuation that's happened there the k rate pretty much the same as well where it's between 25 and 27 percent the whip pretty much the same where it's between 1.28 and 1.3 it's always going to be like a 1.3 whip but i i do feel that with a what will likely be a pretty good team in detroit with much better opponents that he is facing uh in the al central outside of the uh confines of Fenway that I kind of agree with some of these projections and some, I I always get on projections because I think sometimes they're too overly pessimistic. Um, (laughs) But like the bat has him at 3.87 ATC at 3.8 zips has him as a 3.47 ERA. I think that's a little too aggressive for me, but I do think there is, could be some sneaky value to a guy like Erod 
get keeping us keeping your ERA pretty low, providing you, like you said, the possibility of 200 Ks. That's not bad going around pick 160, 170. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm with you. Like the bat at 387 with a 126 whip is that kind sounds... of why I I have him here, though, because that in a 12-teamer, you don't want to settle for that. I mean, I understand that the bat is going to be more conservative and pessimistic, as you explained over why. So if I'm going to take projections and just for one guy and not for everybody else, that's not really fair. Um, but that's kind of that was been the that has been the story about Erod for me for a while. Like in 2018, you see a 382 ERA that he had. Um, that wasn't a 382 ERA uh, all season. It wasn't like that's just what sure. you got. I remember yeah. it being like a 4-3 until the middle of August, and he had like a six start run that brought it all down. Yeah, and there's no That's way in August that you were holding on to Eduardo, hoping for that six start run at that point. Yeah, you have to be real with that. Like if it's a three eight seven ERA, you're not getting it every start. So, I, I, I I'm I, I'm encouraged to take the chance uh, on Eduardo in Detroit. If I'm going to raise him up, I might raise him to like fifty one or something above Wasker. Um, but I I think some people want to see him kind of like a Chris Bassett range. And for me, there is a definitive separation. Like, look, you got to there's still something missing here with Eduardo Rodriguez. And I don't think he's all of a sudden going to become this helper in your ERA and whip. Yeah. Um, well, well, actually, we're going to stay in Detroit, actually, as we talk about uh, the other guy in that rotation who's right behind him, Enteric Skubal. We saw a, a significant sample from Skubal last year, and he threw about 150 innings, but ended the year with a 4.34 ERA, a pretty nice 26% K rate and 11.4% swing strike rate with a 1.26 whip. You still saw that 4.34 ERA, like I said, with a 277 BABIP. 81% left on base rate as well. Those just a lot of numbers that I threw at you, but what's kind of shocking to me that, so this, this ranking seems to indicate that there's another step forward there. Are you, are you a big believer in, in the sinker that he introduced last year, or are you a believer in this slider? What is it about Tarek Skubal that makes you think he can uh, improve next year? Yeah. So uh, last year was something we get rarely, the opportunity to actually observe and it's development like actual development in front of us and i said it a lot last year just marveling at it because sometimes we don't really know when it's going to happen i uh, we don't really know like we just think that all of a sudden one day you're bad then all of a sudden oh my god you're incredible now like no this is actually kind of linear growth in a way for Tarek scoobal and yeah, you see the 434 ERA, the 126 whip, right? And you're like, oh, Nick, that's not really anything that I'm interested in. But he's going to be in Detroit. And they said, look, we want to cap you on 150 innings. They shortened his September to be three inning starts or whatever to make sure he only hit that. Now the you know the training wheels are off. Uh, he's going to go the entire season. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw something close to 180 innings from Tarek Skubal this year. That's mm-hmm. cool. He had a 26% strikeout rate last year. So I think the uh, a possibility of 200Ks, or at least hinting it, is in the cards. Um, and then you have a repertoire that is getting better. There's a lot of people that are talking ill of his four-seamer, being, oh, man, he was in some ways compared to Lance Lynn with the 60-plus percent usage in 2020. Uh, and we still have a heavy fastball approach here around uh, 55% plus, including that sinker that he introduced the pullback from the four-seamer. 
But I think the slider actually had some really nice moments last year. It wasn't just one or two starts. I mean, there were a good handful of these impressive evenings um, with a slider, which I think can just continue to get better. It's not so overwhelming right now with a 15% swing strike rate and 16% call strike rate for the entire season. Still, I think that pitch keeps getting better for Tarek Skubal. It was getting better halfway through the year. And I think there is something to like about the changeup as well. 33% CSW despite only 11% usage. There was a moment when Tarek actually started to really embrace four-seamer, slider, mm. sinker, changeup in a good mix. And he had a lot of success. And then essentially got shut down. Um, I think we're going to see Tarek take another step forward in 2022. Uh, and keep in mind, when he first came up, it was pretty much just like fastball and this big-looking curveball. And it's been over time that he's added these elements uh, into the mix. Like 2020 was just a 15% usage on the slider, then jumped up to 23%. And those big starts, it became uh, more of a weapon um, than just 23% usage. So Scooble, to me, is someone that we can actually kind of point to. It's like, hey, there is some linear growth. <laughs> it's right mm-hmm. here. It's happening in front of us. Um, and I think we're going to like what we see where the ERA should come down from 434. You had a 26% strike rate. Even if he doesn't even approve that, that's cool with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the whip gets better from 126 as well. Yeah, it's a lot of interesting pieces. He's got a lot to work with. Um, I'm curious to see w- what they do with him. I don't I don't know how I feel quite yet about him. Um, but I, yeah. I, I also feel like he could definitely be one of those guys, like you said, where it's like he just kind of comes out of nowhere with the arsenal that he has. I mean, well, yeah, yeah I'm ahead. sorry. I'm sorry. It, it's a uh, there are a lot of times we talk about this, like Eduardo Rodriguez. We're talking Rodriguez. We're talking about it like this or maybe John Means about, um, hey, this is who they are. And let's see what they are and what that means for next year. With Tarek, it's very much of like a, no, 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 no. I'm making this ranking and suggesting that you draft him based on I think he will be better. And if you don't think he's going to be better, then don't draft him. (laughs) It's it's definitely more of a gut thing, kind of like how I talked about Ian Anderson on Monday, um, of how the young Ian Anderson, I think, should develop and continue to improve. I think that's the same way with Tarek Skubal, who's going to be, uh, yeah, he's going to be fully 25. He turned 25 in November. I uh, through the year it's still very young and yeah I think he gets better if you don't think so by looking at the last numbers oh last year's numbers oh man these aren't good enough mm. fair enough um but I think it's going to get there one of the things that I you know there's a lot of fun metrics to point to to try and see if things changed on a pitch right like horizontal movement vertical movement um you, you know maybe a release point right what's your um, favorite fast I like active spin because yeah. active spin can't change in a vacuum, right? Like something has to happen for active spin to have changed, right? Sure. And last year, his his at the active spin of his four seamer goes down a little bit from ninety eight to ninety four. The active spin on the curveball goes up a bit from seventy two to eighty three. Um, and I'm I'd be really curious to know what the tweaks were that he was making to to those pitches and what the mentality was behind them but he's clearly still working on those things um also you know maybe the ball could theoretically have an impact there so it could just be that you know a new ball is gonna is gonna have some impact there but it's interesting interesting thing about the last guy it feels like every episode we do now it's kind of nice to just give you one guy that i know you just want to be able to talk about last time it was patrick sandoval and this time it seems like it's john gray you seem like you've got a little You got a little love affair with John Gray going, I think. It's kind of funny. When I was doing these ranks, I didn't know who to put at 60. 
I really didn't because mm-hmm. you have the 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 next tier after essentially is I think it's um Aaron Ashby right after and then goes into the Ooh. other tier which is are all the boring ones the ones that I had to throw in and if I'm feeling as if I'm behind or if I feel like oh no I need volume that I'm okay with and I just need some starts this week that I'm not burning and churning with fine here's Adam Wainwright and Hyunjin Ryu and Anthony Descafani and Alex Wood and whatever right. But I've I thought about you know what there's got to be one more exciting guy instead of Aaron Ashby who Aaron Ashby sadly is a massive hipster in the sense of we don't know when he's going to start but when he does I can't wait and we'll talk about him next episode. Mm-hmm. But then there's John Gray, and John Gray yeah if you want to get on the train of just expecting different things I mean John Gray is now outside of cores people want to talk about the cores effect saying that oh on the road he was worse than he was at home. I don't really believe in that. I believe, honestly, that when you have consistency of where you pitch, that matters more. Um, And he had more starts inside of Colorado than he did in whatever other places, right? So, to me, that's why John Gray had that familiarity at at Coors. But when you leave it, you can adapt in that way. And then he's in Texas, which is such a good place to pitch. Yeah, uh, you you have John Gray with that increased his fastball velocity last year, which was really nice to see. Had these moments in July where he was throwing ninety six all of a sudden, mm. um, and also has a fantastic slider. Uh, slider has been his bread and butter through his career. Last year, what do you know? Thirty five percent CSW. Um, I think there's a lot to like with John Gray in a situation where he's just gonna throw as much as he wants in Texas next season. I'm kind of in here. I want to take this chance, see how John Gray's looking at the beginning of the year. I'd rather chase that than the boring ones after. So I felt, you know what? Yeah, John Gray, you're at 60. I'm going to take a chance on you. It is a fun chance. I mean, he's going around pick 250 overall right now. So you're probably starting to get into that tier of players and pitchers that are going to be some of your first or second week drops, right? Um, so the, the price definitely makes sense. Uh, I think it's a very valid point that you make about cores. I do think sometimes too, like there, there, there were times I remember, I I don't remember if it was two years ago, maybe where he just like lost it and then went to the minors and was down there for a little while to like try and figure it out. Right. And it's stuff like that, that kind of scares me because that it didn't, I mean, maybe, but it doesn't seem like that's super cores dependent, right? It just seems like there were times where he just lost the feel for something or he was dealing with an injury uh, and he wasn't able to do it. I guess, I don't know, like what realistically do you think then is the ceiling for Gray? Oh man, I can't, I can't really express that so much, but yeah, I mean, well underneath the sub four ERA, you know. Okay. sub 125 for whip like i i expect that as a as a ceiling not, a, not as what he's going to do uh but yeah i think there's a lot of opportunity here for john gray to be a legitimate starter through the year i'm curious to see what that pitch mix is going to be he seems to like have purely eschewed the curveball the past couple seasons which makes sense right. theoretically not be as as fantastic but i do know this i cannot wait to see that curveball from that awful Texas Rangers camera angle. Oh, I can't wait, man. It's, it's so bad. Yeah, we should start a we should start a petition. I mean, it's not so bad for lefties. It's just so high up. It's so high up. I will I, I will say one thing. The just darkness one. of the backdrop makes it uh it makes overlay making much easier mm. for them. The the white of the ball sticks out super well, right. but the white of the ball is so small. 
It's so small. <laughs> like if you're like, you should be able to see the thing the sport is named after. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you should yeah. be able to see it pretty clearly. Yeah. You should see um, the major. Absolutely. <laughs> Nick, no one goes to the park and plays major. <laughs> well, ma- well, what you want them to play minor instead? Boo. Uh, what a perfect way to end this. All right. Nick, <laughs> we did it. We did it. We talked about OnlyFans. The movement kept going. Oh, no. uh, I apologize for letting it drop last week. I'll make sure it's a more integral part of this podcast moving forward. But that is going to do it for episode number 307 of On the Corner, the official PitcherList.com podcast. I'm your host, Alex Fast. And I'm Nick Pollock, and we'll talk to you guys next week.